Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome back to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. This week I am joined by none other than British Paralympic royalty, Baroness Grey Thompson. I can honestly say this is one of those guests when I was a little bit starstruck and, and genuinely in awe. So let's get into it and find out the whole story. Baroness Grey Thompson, welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. Thank you very much. Okay, now we've got the formalities out of the way, we can go back to Tanny. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It, it, it always feels a bit weird when um, somebody calls me Baroness Grey Thompson because you think, is that me? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I oh, think I would oh, use well, it all the time. Well, it's quite funny. A lot of people get a bit, because my name is a bit complicated, and um, people get confused. And I think my first name is actually Tanny Grey. Yeah, yeah. What, and so I, people go, hi, Tanny Grey, and, um, <laughs> which you, that, you must really hate your kids if you if you called your kid Tanny Grey as, as a full name. Well, my surname is Grey, so <laughs> it almost sounds the same, Andy Grey and Tanny Grey. Grey. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tanny, thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast this morning. I mentioned just previously, it's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit in awe. I'm, I'm joined by an, a, a Paralympic royalty on the podcast today, which is just unbelievable. So thank you so much. Tanny, if we just go back to kind of where it all began and you just want to kind of tell us, you know, as a child, where you were born, where you grew up and, you know, the, the condition you were born with as well. So I was born uh, in Cardiff in Wales and uh, I was born with a condition called spina bifida, yep. which means that my, basically my spine wasn't properly formed um, when I was in my mum's womb. And so for me that there's loads of different variations of spina bifida yeah. uh but for me what it meant was that uh i didn't have a uh, vertebra covering part of my spinal cord and the lower part of my back right and um uh, i could walk a little bit when i was very young uh and then my spinal cord or my spine collapsed and my own vertebra severed my spinal cord which oh, is wow. just one of those things that is just you know it just happened you know there's nothing that you could do about it uh there wasn't an operate there still isn't an operation that could have done anything to, right. to kind of help me um and i grew up in a really sporty family where my parents sort of thought sport and physical activity was was massively important it was actually in the early years about just me being fit and healthy yeah, yeah, and being yeah. able to get around and to to live independently uh and then sort of gradually sort of the elite sport bit sort of kicked in and I decided that's kind of what I wanted to do with with, with most of my life, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, definitely. When you look at the career you had, definitely. Just, if you don't mind me asking, Tiny, you know, as a child, were you kind of too young to realise what was happening around the, the collapse of the spine and then being, going from being able to walk slightly to not being able to walk anymore? And how did that, I suppose, how did that, you know, I mean, how did that affect your journey? Yeah, I mean... I mean, we had conversations with my mum and dad about it because, uh, you know, I I was sort of, I, I wasn't particularly in and out of hospital, but I did have to go, you know, for, for some hospital visits to, for them. They were, they were trying to figure out what, if anything, they, they could do. Um, and, and the answer was nothing. So, no, my mum and dad were all always really open about discussing 
what might be happening to me, what surgery I might or might not need. Yeah. So in that way, they were really good, really, really open about stuff. They never hid anything from me. Yeah. Um, and they always kind of involved me in, I, I guess, like any of the conversations with, with the doctors. So my mum and dad were always very keen, you know, that I, I should understand what was potentially being done to me. Yeah, of course. So in that way, it was brilliant that they they were just really supportive of of of, of me and I suppose from quite a young age believed in in me having my own voice actually. Um, and I remember there's one one surgery that one of the doctors wanted to perform on me, which nobody thought. Well, we didn't think it was a good idea, and it just shows the age. My mum had taken me to the hospital. And the doctor has spoken to her and she said, no, you know, we, we don't want to do that. It, it actually was completely pointless surgery. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the doctor went and found my dad where he worked and had a chat with him and saying, oh, you know, we, we don't think your wife kind of really understood, you know, being a woman and stuff. Wow, and I remember wow. my dad being fuming about that. It was really yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, my dad was a feminist before. Um, before it was a thing. Could be feminist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he was, he was fab. Yeah, yeah. I'm a. I'm got three daughters, so I'm. A, I'm a feminist. Yeah, you kind of have to be. Good. Yeah, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. They can do anything. Okay, so that, that's kind of set set the journey that you're on now. What was it like being at school? How, what kind of sports were you discovering being from an active family? Because it sounds like you had really supportive parents as well. Yeah, my parents were amazing, um, and. Uh, I mean, I grew up swimming and playing a bit of tennis and basketball, did a bit of horse riding. I mean, we, we were really lucky as a family. My my dad had a decent job. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. we could afford to, to do things. I yeah. mean, we, we we had pretty strict upbringing, but we could afford to do stuff outside school. And I guess what's had a big impact on me and, you know, I, I thought that that's – I, I kind of learned really young that not every family has that. I mean, they really don't. Yeah. And so I kind of realised how lucky I was growing up in terms of what my parents were were able to uh, to encourage me to do, really. Um, so, yeah, I did loads. And it, it wasn't about a Paralympic pathway. It was just about, um, I guess, being fit and healthy, to be honest. That that was what was important to my mum and dad. Yeah. And it was about um, be, being able to live independently. That, wow. that was a really big part of it, yeah. you know. So um, it was only sort of much later that the competitive sport sort of really kicked in. And, you know, I kind of started talking about pathway and, and stuff like that. So how old were you when that pathway started to kick in? Was it something that you had realised yourself or was it a coach at a club or a teacher who kind of went, OK, Tani, you really talented? And we can uh, see the progression. Yeah, yeah. Nobody really thought I was very talented when I was young, so that was quite funny because um, I actually probably wasn't very good. So um, I, I think what was interesting was, uh, you know, I joined a club and I started training, and you know, I, I sort of connected to other people, but um, I didn't win a race for the first four or five years I competed because right. the best girl in Britain went to my school and was in my year. Oh wow. So it was kind of interesting at the time. So when when I did sort of start getting a lot better, it was kind of interesting how people were like, oh, yeah, we always knew you were good. And it's like, yeah, you never mentioned that to me <laughs> when I was young. Um, and so, you know, it was it was good, actually, because I, I developed under the radar. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of pressure on me as a young athlete. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just got to do the stuff that I love. My dad, he was brilliant. He um, he. 
he was kind of ahead of his time in so many things. But, um, you know, he was saying you've got to play lots of different sports. You can't stick at once. But, and that goes sort of in and out fashion. And yeah, of course. it's sort of back in a bit now, you know, where it, it's really important to do other stuff. Well, so, I totally agree. Yeah, If you're having a bad time at one discipline, you can go off and do something else. Yeah. And so there was stuff like that that was like really, really important to, to me sort of developing, which dad was brilliant at, you know. So, um, yeah, I just I just did loads of stuff, really. And you know, probably didn't, I'm trying to think. So I I, I probably, I, I made sort of a big development when I was sort of 17, 18. Yeah. That was sort of the big, big jump in my career. But until then, I'm not sure anybody would have called me talented. Right. Okay. So what, what do you think brought about the change at sort of 17, 18? Was it, was it the fact there was no pressure on you? You were maybe already had the lady who was the, best in the country at your school to look up to and aspire to, to be like, or, or, or even wanting to beat. And then what, what, so where was the change and what do you think inspired that? Um, I think it was a combination of things, really. I think it was about finding the time to figure out what I wanted to do. Yeah. And yeah. I think, you know, when, um, you know, when I decided that wheelchair racing was the sport I kind of wanted to stick to, I'd, I sort of had all those years of developing and, kind of learning and and so when I decided I kind of wanted to take it a lot more seriously it was um it it was an easier decision to take actually because by then I'd kind of been through lots of ups and downs and and things like that uh and then I went to Loughborough University um which was great because of you know just the number of people to train with so there's kind of lots of sliding doors moments really where you can kind of choose to go through or you can choose not to. So yeah. there's not one thing, but yeah. there's just kind of lots of things. And I think it was just, I loved competing. And then it was just having the chance to do more and more competitions. So at what point in, at university was it where you started thinking, okay, even just kind of nationals are now a, a real kind of opportunity for me to go out and showcase what I can do? Um. I suppose it's like 15, 16, I was looking at nationals, but it was probably only 19, 20 that I was thinking, okay, what, what can I do? Um, And I I competed in the Seoul Paralympics when I was 19. And that was a big jump up for me in terms of my own performance. And then I remember coming back from there thinking, and that was the end of my first year at uni and thinking, right, I've got four years. And then you kind of think, oh, I haven't got four years because actually, because the selection, yeah. You know, I've got three and a half years. And then you're thinking, well, oh, hang on a minute. And and you start, for me, I just started working back, actually, how much time I had. Yeah, yeah. And then you, um, I, I remember um, basically working out the number of training sessions that I had. And then you're going, oh, right, that's not a lot then. Um, <laughs> so there, there was kind of a bit more of a sense of urgency, I think, then right. when yeah. when I, I came back from Seoul because uh, – it was all fun and lovely. And and actually you've always got to love it because you don't always like it. Yeah. But um I think coming back from Seoul, it was like, oh right, okay, I've I've if I'm gonna take this seriously, I need to take it really seriously. How did you find the level in jump? So, you know, going from doing nationals to all this and now being on the biggest stage in world sport and competing against people from all over the world at, as you say, the biggest games. What was the jump like? Um do you know, it was it was all right. I mean, I I loved it. It was so exciting yeah. at that point, really exciting. Yeah. 
because there's still no pressure. Yeah, and course. you know, there's personal stuff, but it would be um, you know, I remember going and competing at the American University Championships, um, and you know, starting to travel, and it was all really, you know, you're going to different places, and it was all really, really exciting. Um, you know, the pressure sort of kicked in a, a bit later, but at that point, it was all just and it, it I mean, don't get me wrong, it always was. I loved it, you know, and the point I stopped loving it was the point I, I retired. Yeah, yeah. But um uh certainly when you're young, not having the same pressure uh is 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 a great place to be in. Do you feel like you came out of those first Paralympic games almost still not almost still a little bit naive and just really enjoying the moment rather than maybe he's really thinking, oh, well, actually, wow, I'm at a Paralympic Games. I'm now representing Great Britain and, you know, I'm going to be competing for kind of gold, silver and bronze medals. In an, and I mean that in the nicest way, by the way, because I think it's yeah. nice to be naive to go to these competitions sometimes. No, no, I think that that's true. I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I probably didn't realise enough of what competition on the world stage was was going to be. Yeah. Because when you're when you're young and you know you make such massive improvements yeah. at that age. You know, you you almost like personal best every time you go out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you get moments like that. I, I think I was always quite realistic about it, but um that that excitement of just going to loads of different places, doing loads of different things, you know, it it was amazing. It really, yeah. really was. Um and then, you know, very quickly, the, the reality kicks in of, um, okay, you know, to, I, I guess it's, you know, to make the next team, what do I have to do? Yeah, um, yeah. Because you, you can't kind of do what you've got. I mean, it's just, it's not rocket science, any of this. You, you've got to be continually improving. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, the, the pressure changes. Yeah, yeah. But it never felt like too much. It yeah. never felt like... Um, something I couldn't deal with that the pressure that came with it as I was getting better yeah. was also really exciting because well, instead of people looking at me thinking, Oh, she's probably going to come last. Yeah. yeah. Then people are looking going, Oh, well may- maybe she's going to have a good day today. So, you know, it's. Sports, I, I mean, psychologists, sports psychologists must speak to you and think, okay, how can we kind of bottle up the way Tani thinks and pass it on to other athletes? Because there's never once where you talk, you talk about the internal pressures that you maybe place on yourself, but actually all of a sudden when you're on that world stage and the world's almost watching, certainly Great Britain, you're kind of, well, okay, I'm enjoying this. This is, you know, I'm excited to go out here and do this. And you haven't really let any of that, by the sounds of things, I don't know what on the occasion, maybe you do, but it doesn't sound like you've really like let any of that get on top of you. Um, Probably not. And I think some of that is down to some of my early coaches who were just, you know, brilliant, really yeah. supportive, you know, t- telling us to, to enjoy the moment. Um, well, fair play I mean, for you being able to do that because I know that I've been told to enjoy the moment sometimes and <laughs> I just genuinely haven't been able to. I mean, there's definitely bits, I think, there's stuff I should have enjoyed more while I was competing. Yeah. Um, if that makes sense. You know, there's there are moments where, you know, the drive to be better, you know, you come back from a major game, you get two weeks off training and then you're yeah. back in again. Yeah. You know, that drive to be better. You don't get a lot of chance. You know, I didn't do holidays. Yeah. Um, I couldn't really afford to, if I'm being honest. You know, all the money I had was spent competing. Well, well after I was going to ask, when when did you become a professional athlete? Or when you were going to the Paralympic Games, certainly early on, 
was it still being funded by yourself? Uh, a lot of it was, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, that that's hard because there's definitely athletes that, you know, couldn't afford to do stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and that kind of pressure of funding, I think, is is really difficult, really difficult. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it was if I'm going to be spending, you know, every I remember every race I went to, my dad saying, um, that's your pension you're spending. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the reason I didn't go on holiday was that, okay, if I had this much money, I was going to spend it racing, not yeah, going on yeah. holiday. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I said, I, I don't want to have anyone feel sorry for me because I had a great life traveling the world. You know, I got to go to some amazing places, but well, it's about yeah. priorities, really. I was going to say that around the holiday element. The fact you travel, people may be listening to this thing, well, actually, Tani traveled around the world to compete. But the chances are you probably got to see very little of the place you were at because you were so busy competing and so involved in the tournament. I remember when I went to the World Championships, they were in 2008, they were in Disney in Orlando. And so we fought there and people were like, oh, was Disney good? Was Orlando good? And I genuinely didn't see any of it. I was there to compete. I, I seen the inside of a sports hall and the inside of my hotel room. And that was it. And I'm sure it's, it's very similar for yourself. It's really funny, isn't it? Because it's it's exactly the same yeah. that... Um, you know, you get very excited if it's a blue track, not a red track. Yeah. Um, I remember where we went for our honeymoon. Um, and it was in Switzerland. And um, we basically stayed 10 metres off a marathon course and went training with the Swiss national squad. Um, and there's the the marathon was called Lake Sempak Marathon. Now, the fact it's called Lake Sempak Marathon, you think there's a lake there, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. And um, I remember going to training and Ian, my husband, saying, I never realised, I never really looked at the lake when we were doing the marathon. And you kind of even when you're, you know, because you're in a race, you're not, you're not, you're not looking yeah, at all that lake. Yeah. Um, so there's some really funny stuff with that. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think I was brought up to make the most of the opportunities that you have. Yeah, of course. And I think that's that's really important. You've got to make the most of the opportunities. Yeah. And and the other bit is you've got to train hard. Yeah. You know, I I meet lots of young people who say they want to be a Paralympian or Olympian, or, and you go, okay, what 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 training are you doing? And and you can't skive off training. You can't miss training. No. You know, the training's got to be the biggest priority and then everything else fits around it. And then you should get more successful. You do get invited to some really cool things, but yeah. you've, you've got to train. Yeah, the I don't think that, I think people probably, certainly now probably look at you and go, oh, she's on channel here, she's on channel four here, she's doing Paralympic Games, she's com- commentating on this, she's doing this, blah, blah, blah. But they haven't seen the sacrifice, the struggles and everything that went leading up to forge the career that you've you've afforded yourself now they didn't see the christmases that you weren't allowed to have a christmas dinner or they didn't see you know the times where you couldn't go to a best friend's wedding because you had to train or you had to be in a paralympic game so i think that that gets missing that's one of the reasons behind the podcast is really highlighting a lot of the sacrifices that professional athletes performers whatever the profession is the, the sacrifices they make in order to 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 be known and to be the best at what they've been good at yeah, so I mean, we joke, but you know, um, our our wedding was based on on our competition schedule, you know, and and that's all right because that's kind of what I wanted to do. But you know, you look at it. My my sister kind of based her wedding on my co- competition schedule because I was going to be um, in Sydney, right, for uh, a big part of two thousand, and that's the year that she wanted to get married, right, and so she. Um, yeah, she got married sort of earlier in the year to, to make sure that I could be there, wow. you know. So 
it's your family tolerate loads and I remember oh this was really funny so my mum used to um I used to train Christmas Day because Daley Thompson trained Christmas Day. Right. And uh, and I remember reading about it and going, right, I'm trying. My mum used to be, that Daley Thompson? Oh, if ever <laughs> I speak to him, I'm going to have words with him, you know. And, you know, we didn't do I mean, we only did like an hour and a half training session or yeah, something yeah. on a Christmas Day. So you weren't full, you know, you'd, yeah, you'd have yeah. a bit of time. Um, but, you know, I'd be coming in sort of 20 minutes before Christmas dinner was on the table and kind of showering and changing <laughs> it and be like... You know, and I always remember mum going, if you're going to training, going to. Anyway, so, but then the foot, when my mum actually met Daley Thompson, she was like, oh, Daley, we love you. <laughs> and I've, Thank I've, you. Been saying to, I've been saying to him, my mum's probably going to have a real go at yeah, you, yeah. you know, and he was expecting this real dragon. And yeah, then he was like, yeah. she's lovely. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, she yeah. just bottled it. You know. <laughs> the bottle, yeah. um, it daily thank you so much for inspiring Tanny when she was little. Oh yeah, it's all that nonsense. So uh, oh, that's I think, fantastic. I think daily, I think daily actually told somebody once that I got the Thompson because I was married to him. <laughs> Which is like, I mean, he's a mate of mine. It's really sweet, yeah, yeah. and you know, I grew up watching him, and I, I can't believe he's like a mate of mine. But yeah, you have to go around and say, no, I wasn't married. To him. <laughs> that's brilliant. He's got a wicked sense of humour. Yeah, I, no, I like stuff like that. I think that's brilliant. I, to be honest, I might tell people we're related just because we've both got grey in the name. Absolutely, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, Auntie Tanny Grey Thompson was on. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, I totally digress. That's completely um, random. Oh, yeah, and that's the way I do. I go off very random. Talk about Paralympic Games. So before we get to the successes, hmm. you've been called up to the first Paralympic Games. Can you just kind of describe the, the moment you realised you were you'd been selected and you were going to represent Great Britain. And what was the family's reaction as well? So I remember this so clearly. I'd come home from university. It was my last sort of day of summer term. Uh, I'm coming in and mum was in the kitchen and she said to me, oh, there's last on the kitchen table. And then she went back to the, the sink and was washing up. And um, there was the, the logo, the GB logo on the outside of the envelope. Wow. I remember just looking and she was just sort of trying to ignore me. But no, you know what I mean? Just sort of go, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, it's just like, yeah. and I remember opening it and it just said, dear Tani, congratulations. And I screamed and then she screamed. And then I come, my dad was probably out fishing. He used to fish a lot. Right. Uh, and my sister was doing uh, nurse training. And right. so like getting in touch with her and it was just amazing. And then it was, this is so cool. Oh my! No, I'm going to the Paralympics. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, and it was like, right, okay, what am I going to do? So, I mean, like, I have the summer holidays. Um, I actually went back to Loughborough, spent some time at Loughborough, because wow. um, actually there was no one there, and it was actually really good for training. Yeah, yeah. Kind of went, you know, just sort of got away from everything. Um, yeah, and I, I still remember. I, I remember that selection more than I remember any other selection because it was uh, yeah, kind of a with being the first one as well, and. Being so special. So you obviously competed for so long and at so many games, and you obviously you've won so many medals. What was before we get back to the first kind of goal that you won, what was the what was the key to sustaining and, and kind of having that longevity? Because you must have seen so many things evolved, even with regards to I suppose the equipment that you use. Like how did you how did you deal with that and how did you maintain that high performance? Yeah. Um, so a big part of it is, so we used to do prehab before prehab was a thing. Yeah. So yeah. like looking after your body. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. you know, wheelchair racing is really hard on, on your shoulders. 
So, you know, it's, um, you've got to do a lot of shoulder exercises to protect your shoulders. I still do them. I I have a collection of uh, very stretchy bands, like all over my house that I still do sort of a lot of exercise with. And it's, it's kind of, so it was looking after your body, really important lesson to to learn. Um, Training hard, training smart. Um, I was born in the right year. So that's why I could do five games. You know, my first one was, you know, it was a bit of a surprise to be selected. My last one, I was hanging on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, and I I pretty much after Athens, just that was me done. Yeah, yeah. I competed yeah. for a bit longer, but physically I was done. So there's, think, and I think it was, uh, maintaining the motivation was really important. Yeah. Um, so I was always just really motivated to 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 keep going. Um, and I think that was, there was always another race or, you know, um, somewhere that I hadn't been before or, you know, there was always things to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, of course. But I do remember coming back from Athens and just going, don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I I didn't stop there and then because I wanted to make sure that I was absolutely ready to stop. But really, yeah. I mean, my dad thought I should have stopped at Athens. I probably should have stopped at Athens. Right. I, I did another sort of two years, but I was yeah, sick. Yeah. I was injured. Wasn't enjoying it. Wasn't enjoying yeah. the training. Now I'm really glad I did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the time that that wasn't, it wasn't a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. I think you you know when your body's done, don't you? And in, in your mind, yeah. you know. Talk me through the first golden. You've won so many of them, but I'm mm. sure, like the first time you called up the Great Britain team, the first gold's probably the one that sticks in your memory the longest. Um, the it, it's actually so. Yeah, I mean Barcelona, yeah. Um, yeah. and ninety uh, two. So I'd had a really great season. I'd sort of broken the two hundred world records in Australia, uh, in Melbourne, early, uh, very early on in the season. So I'd come off a, a block of really strong winter training. We'd gone out to, ro- to road race there, and then there were some track races. And um, it was it was that point in my career where it wasn't quite every time I went out, I broke a record, but you're, you're just making jumps. Yeah, yeah. And it's so exciting at that point in your career. But it changes because then I remember that the last time I broke my personal best in the 100, it was by like a tiny, tiny and you're kind of excited because you yeah, know how hard it is as you get older to, to do that. Um, but yeah, Barcelona, by the time I got to Barcelona, I was world record holder for 100, 200, 400 and 800. Um, and, and probably actually what was more important. Um, so my first goal was the four, but yeah. Um, yeah. I broke the world record in, in qualification. Wow. And um, I was the first woman to go under a minute uh, and it's kind of funny now because you talk to the kids now, they're like a minute. That's like really slow, you know, but um, it was that that was uh, a, a kind of a big deal for yeah, me, yeah. actually, to, to 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 know that. I was, and that just gave me loads of confidence for, yeah. for the rest of, of the games. Oh, it's interesting because um, I'm sure that can send you one way or the other. And I either think, oh, my goodness, I brought the world record. How am I going to do that again? Or can drive you to go, yeah, I'm going to go and do that again. Yeah. No, and- that's fantastic. I think for us, so my mum and dad were really different. Mum liked me. I mean, dad, dad liked me winning, but, you know, my mum was like, did you win? Yeah, yeah. My dad was, did you race well? Yeah, yeah. And so what we were always trying to do all the way through my career was put together a really good race. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you put together a really good race and you've done all the training, you can't control what anyone else has done. Of course. You can't. Of but, course. but actually you're just aiming for perfection in every race you do. Uh, and and that's that was like a big driver for me. You're kind of looking, and I'm quite, uh, I would say analytical. Other people might say anal. <laughs> yeah. um, I prefer analytical. Yeah. It's nicer. 
Um, it is. <laughs> and, um, you know, be like, okay, what, what do I have to do in each segment of the race? How do I put it together? Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and that, that was, you know, I, I liked that side of it. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of a, the, my last question for you because I'm conscious. I know you've got to get away. You've got other meetings coming up, but it was very much going to be what would, would be your advice to somebody who was looking to to com- kind of compete or do something similar to what you've done. You know, you might be somebody's Daley Thompson. What would your advice be? You know, practicing a good race sounds like it's a really good advice. <laughs> you've you've got to find something that you love doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, because you know, I lived in the northeast for a, a massive chunk of my career. And, you know, in Redka, and it's pretty cold in the winter. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm based just in Middlesbrough now. Yeah, from Newcastle, you know, but and, I live down here And now. train along Redka Seafront in the winter. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. uh, pushing cool. up past ICI, the Mad Mile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, by ICI. Well, yeah, we still call it, ICI hasn't been there for years, we still call it that. Yeah, yeah so there's this road called the Mad Mile. And, I've run down it a few uh, times. Yeah. And, you know, it's we used to do sprints up and down. Yeah, yeah. And what you try and do is push as long as you can because it's quite steep. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, going back up the other way, you weren't sprinting, but you, you're trying to keep your, your speed above 10K. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you, you know, for me, if, if you got all the way up and you kept an average of 10K, you'd be like, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you, you've got to love it. Sorry, it's not distracted talking training, but you've got to love what you do. Yeah, yeah. Because there are times that it's hard and it's miserable and you're not doing well or you're injured. And, you know, I, I think the other thing you need is you need a real honesty with yourself about what you're doing. Yeah. You know, don't, don't kid yourself that you're training harder than you are. And you've got to train hard. You've got to train smart. You need those two things. Yeah. yeah. You know, you. Um, I've seen athletes who, who, you know, train too hard um, and athletes who don't train, you know, so you've got to yeah, find that, that balance. But but um, be honest with yourself about what you're doing. And if you say you want to do it, are you genuinely doing everything you can to be the best guy, and you don't necessarily need lots of fancy training. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, the fanciest gyms I've ever trained in are, you know, are, are kind of cool. Yeah. But one of the best gyms I ever trained in was the gym with bodybuilders, you know, and where the, the guys were great. And, you know, a five kilo weight or a 10 kilo, whatever it is, still weighs 10 kilos. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's you, you can do an awful lot of stuff without having to have the really, really fancy stuff around you, however nice that is. So, yeah, I, I think there's a whole combination of things. It's just, but, but find something you love doing is the most important. Well, I love it. Thank you so Well, Tani, thank you so much for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle. I know you've got to be away. So I will say thank you for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle and have a fantastic day. Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you. Me too. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hobby of a Lifestyle. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll see you next time.